Well, I want to begin this morning, and I want to ask this question. Do you like poetry? Do you like poems? Now, I have to confess that I'm actually not a huge fan of poetry. Uh, I don't always get it. I don't really know all the time what they're talking about or what they're trying to say. But there was one point in my life when I really did like poetry. And for me, that was when I was in grade 10. In grade 10, I had a brilliant English teacher. He was a, a Christian man. He was engaging and funny, and he loved the English language. And he brought English alive. And in grade 10, one of the units that we studied was poetry. And when it came to poetry, he didn't just pick boring, difficult poems that didn't make much sense. He picked really interesting poems. And poems, in fact, that, that in many ways spoke to the human condition. They, they, they were things that I could relate to. I felt what the poet was, was saying and writing. And uh, that year we had an assignment. We had to memorize this one poem. And uh, all, all of us in the class. And, you know, I've forgotten almost everything I learned in high school. But this poem has always, always stuck with me. It's a poem by an author named Robert Frost. And it's called The Road Not Taken. And it's a poem about a person who came to a major decision in their life. Uh, and he, it goes like this. I'll just give you the first verse. It said, two roads diverged in the yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one to where it bent in the undergrowth. The poem goes on to say that then how the, that, that, that same person looked down the other path and considered that one too. And, and then throughout the poem, you can hear this struggle in the, in the poet's heart. Because he knows that if he, if he chooses one path, chances are that will lead to another, which will lead to another. And he'll probably never get the chance to come back and take this road. And you know, I can, I can feel that when I, I read that poem. I know what that feels like. In fact, if, if I think about it, it really is a pretty good poem. Uh, and that coming from a guy who doesn't know a lot about poetry because it connected with how I felt around making some hard decisions. And for many of us, that's the case when it comes to making decisions in our life, isn't it? We struggle often. Now, not always. There's some decisions that are really easy, right? I mean, candies or broccoli? Candies, right? Action movie or chick flick? Action movie, of course. Calgary Flames, Vancouver Canucks. Calgary Flames, of course, right? I mean, these are easy decisions to make, but there are other decisions that are much more difficult, aren't they? Because they have a profound impact on our lives. They impact what happens sometimes in the short term, sometimes in the midterm. And sometimes the decisions that we make have a profound effect throughout all of our life. And when it comes to those decisions, we struggle, don't we? We say, well, I hope I'm making the right decision. Because I know one road leads to another, leads to another. And sometimes, even after we've chosen that particular road, we look back and we wonder, did I make the right decision? What, was this the right road to travel down? Because I'm committed now, but I'm not sure. I, I wonder if I picked the right road. Well, today we're going to return to our study in the life of Abram. And, and in the passage that we're going to look at today, Abram is also making some very significant decisions in his life that will have, for him, some very profound consequences. And so we want to look at his story and learn from his story today how we should both make some of these major decisions in our life, but also how we should live in light of those decisions after they've been made. So, 
If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one somewhere right around you. And if you would take that out, you can find this on page 9. Now, even though we're going to focus on uh, chapter 13, we actually have to go back to chapter 12 and look at that to understand what's happening in chapter 13. If you've been with us for a little while now, uh, you know that Abram... Uh, was living in the land of the Chaldeans in a city called Ur when God came to him and called him to leave that place and to follow God into a land that he would show him, the land of Canaan. And at the beginning of chapter 12, God comes to Abram and he makes this profound set of promises to him. He says, Abram, uh, I am going to make you into a great nation and I am going to make your name great. And Abram, I'm going to bless you, and through your family, I will bless all the families of the earth. And so Abram, with this amazing promise ringing in his ears, he sets out and begins to travel through the land of Canaan. And this is uh, where uh, I want us to stop for a moment and look at chapter 12, verse 8. This is what it says that he did then. From there he, Abram, moved to the hill country, to the high country, on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and A on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So God calls Abram and Abram listens. He goes, he follows God to the land of Canaan. And when he gets there, he pitches his tent and he builds an altar and he worships God. And then in the rest of chapter 12 which we're not going to read, it tells us that the very next thing that happened, he finally comes in the land, he kind of settles there, and the very first thing that happens for him, a famine in the land that God has brought him to. Now, the famine comes because there's not enough rain in the land. So Abram says to himself, what am I going to do? Well, he decides that the answer is to pick up uh, his, his tent and take his wife and his servants and his livestock and move down to Egypt. Now, the reason why he chooses Egypt is because the land in Egypt doesn't depend on rain. The land in Egypt is watered by the mighty Nile River, and that river never stops flowing. So he's guaranteed good land there. So he, he goes down to Egypt. There's one problem, though, and that is this, that his wife is so beautiful that he's worried that he'll get down there, and Pharaoh will take one look at, at her and kill him and take her to be his wife. So he convinces his wife that she should tell a half-truth, a little white lie, that she should say that he's actually uh, her, her brother. So they go down to Egypt, and that's exactly what happens. Pharaoh sees her, begins to ask. She says, well, he's my brother. Pharaoh takes her into his harem, and as a thank you to this brother of hers, he begins to pile onto, to, uh, onto Abram all sorts of gifts, servants and gold and silver and sheep and, and goats and all kinds of livestock. And Pharaoh takes Abram's wife, Sarai, and he puts her in his harem. Now, the custom in that day was when a a new woman came into the harem of Pharaoh or of any king, he would not go in to see her for at least nine months because he wanted to be certain that if she had a child, it wasn't a child by someone else. And it was during those nine months that God in his grace and by his kindness towards Abram sent a plague on the house of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh began to investigate. He said, what is causing all this trouble? And he found out that, in fact, this woman wasn't Abram's sister. He was her wife. And uh, so he calls in Abram. And, uh, and he, 
is angry. And he tells him what he thinks. And then he says, and now you get out of this country. And don't you come back. And there's a great deal that could be said about, more that could be said about that story. Uh, And in fact, we're going to come back to it later on this summer because this is a mistake that Abram makes twice. But for us today, there are a number of things that we need to note in in order to understand what happens next. First of all, you need to note this. Abram was never instructed by God to leave Canaan and to go down to Egypt. God had called him to Canaan. And when the crisis came, when the famine came in his life, the first thing Abram did wasn't to ask God what he should do. The first thing he did was to take matters into his own hands and to immediately head to Egypt. And it's interesting, if you read through the second part of chapter 12, that nowhere in his trip down to Egypt does it say that Abram built an altar or that he called on the name of the Lord. In other words, he did it all in his own strength and his own wisdom, and the results were disastrous. I mean, he lied. He almost got his wife permanently stuck in the harem of Pharaoh of Egypt. And, 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 and if it hadn't been for God's grace, if Pharaoh had gone in to see her, she would have never gotten out. And the promise of God would have never come to fruition. On top of that, he got caught and then he got deported. Not exactly the most successful experience. Not exactly the actions of a great man of faith. And this is where we are in Abram's life when we're going to pick up this story. So now we're going to walk through the story sort of a little bit at a time. And so if you have your Bibles, I want us to just start by, uh, by looking at verse 1 of chapter 13. That's what it says. So, Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. I wonder what that trip home was like. I'll bet it was pretty quiet. I can imagine that his wife wasn't too impressed with what had happened. And I'll bet Abram was kind of discouraged too. And as, as he trekked across that desert back toward the land of Canaan, he would have had a lot of time to think and to ponder all the things that happened in Egypt. And somewhere on that long journey back, I think that he made a decision that the next time there was a problem in his life. The, the next time that there was a crisis or a major decision to be made, the next time he was going to trust God. Because when he did it on his own, it became a mess. Now, I don't know that for sure, but certainly the next verse gives us a few clues. And as we'll see, his actions certainly indicate that this was the case. So, let's look at the next verses, verses 2 to 4. It says, Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Abram says, I'm going back to where I started from, from to where I should have never left. And this time I'm going to trust God. I'm going to call on the name of the Lord again. And that's what he does. But, You have to know one thing here, that it hasn't been that long since he's left Canaan. I mean, if it was a month to go down there, and his wife was less than nine months in the harem there, and then a month back, it's only ten or so months at the most since he's left. Which means that he comes back to a land that is still experiencing famine and drought. Or if not, is just barely beginning to recover. And this is going to become a problem for him. Because if you remember, Pharaoh loaded him down with all this livestock and all of these, these uh, sheep and goats and cattle. 
And now he comes back to this land. And now, even as he comes back to God, as he says, God, now I'm going to trust you. Now, a significant issue is going to come up in his life. Look at what happens next in verses 5 to 7. And Lot, that's Abram's nephew, who went with Aram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. You know, it's interesting to note that this new issue that comes into Abram's life doesn't come out of his poverty, but rather out of his prosperity. It doesn't result from him walking away from God, but rather comes even as he's going back to serve and to worship God. And you know, we who are Christians, we shouldn't miss that. Sometimes we think, well, you know, my world is going good and I'm worshiping God, so nothing difficult should come into my life. But that's simply not how life goes. I mean, sometimes in our life, way on the horizon, something little appears and we hardly notice it. But then it begins to grow and grow and grow. And suddenly there's a significant issue in our life that we weren't expecting. And all of a sudden we're looking down one road as far as we can to where it bends in the undergrowth. And then the other. And we're trying to make a decision to know which is the best way to go. And like Abram, we've been to Egypt. We've tried to do it in our own wisdom and our own strength. And it was a mess. So this time we say, I'm going to trust God. This time... I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to make sure it's not opposed to his word, in line with his word. I'm going to make sure it's in line with his word, and then I'm going to do it. Hmm? That's what Abram's going to do now. So let's look and see what happens for him. Verses 8 to 13. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we're kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So there is this conflict that comes into Abram's life. His herdsmen are conflicting with a lot's herdsmen. And so he says, this time I'm going to trust God. So remember, they're on this high country. And so he must have called Lot and they went out to a bluff from which you could see the entire land, every direction. And he says to Lot, take your pick. Whatever you choose, I'll take the other. Now, at this point, we all know how the conversation should have gone, right? Should have gone like this. Lot should have said, oh, Uncle Abe, you know, you are my elder. You are our leader. In fact, all the wealth that I have is only because of your kindness and your goodness to me, your care and protection for me. Thank you for your kindness, but you choose first. And whatever You pick, I'm just only so grateful for whatever else there is. That's how the conversation should have gone. And they know it, and we know it. But it didn't go that way, did it? Instead, instead, Lot looks up and he chooses the Jordan Valley, 
which, as this passage notes, is like Egypt. In other words, it doesn't depend on rain to water the land. It has a guaranteed source of water. And in many ways, it looks and feels like the Garden of Eden. It's lush and rich. It's a place of ease and wealth and unlimited resources. And the only drawback that Lot can see as he looks down into that beautiful valley is that there are these two cities down there. One's named Sodom and the other's named Gomorrah. And they have a bad reputation for being a place of wickedness and sin. But in his mind, the pluses definitely outweigh the negatives. And so Lot chooses the rich and beautiful land. And he and Abram separate ways. Now, in verse 11, it tells us that Lot then journeyed east. Now, the word in Hebrew for journeyed means literally he moved by stages. In other words, Lot left Abram and he moved just into the valley of the Jordan. And he lived there for a while. And then, and then after a while, he picked up his tent and he moved a little further east. And after he'd lived there for a while, he picked up his tent and he moved a little further east. Until he had crossed the Jordan River and was actually no longer in, in the land of Canaan. Until he looked up one day and realized his tent was right beside the city of Sodom. You see, Lot had never learned the lessons that Abram had learned when he had gone down to Egypt. Lot's decisions were not based on faith. Instead, he looked around to see what was best for him in the immediate situation. And he simply went with it. And it was good for him. I mean, for him, it was like living in the Garden of Eden. But it slowly but surely drew him closer and closer and closer to this place that would ultimately result in his destruction. But not right away. I mean, to begin with, it looked like he had made the better decision. And what about Abram? This man who said, this time, I'm going to trust God. Well, in verse 12, in the middle of this long description of how beautiful the Jordan Valley is, the Bible simply says, Abram settled in the land of Canaan. Now, you have to remember that you and I, we have the benefit of hindsight. I mean, we know that in the end, it didn't work out so well for Lot. And in the end, things went very well for Abram because God was with him. But Abram didn't know that. As far as he knew, he had trusted God and Lot had ended up getting the better land. Lot got the better deal. Lot got the land that was guaranteed to have water, that was always going to be fresh and lush and fertile. And he got a land that was still in the middle of a drought or maybe just barely beginning to recover from a famine. And he got a land that was dependent upon God to send rain on that land. And for whatever reason, God hadn't been sending rain on that land. And now... Now, because of his decision to trust God, here he was in this dry and dusty land. And I wonder what was going through his mind when he turned, having made his deal with Lot, and began slowly to make his way back to his tent. I mean, I wonder if he didn't glance over his shoulder at at the beautiful Jordan Valley and think, I wonder if there's room for both of us in that valley. Or I wonder if he wasn't angry at Lot. Like, Lot, you know full well that you should have given me the first choice. But you didn't. I wonder if he wasn't actually more angry at God. God, you called me here. And I end up in this dry land. And he gets the beautiful land. Really? 
I wonder, I wonder if he worried what his wife would say when he told her. She said, what? You let Lot choose first? What were you thinking? I wonder if he's worried about what the, the Canaanites and the Perizzites in the land would say. They say, oh, Abram, nice guy, but not the sharpest tool in the shed. I wonder if his, in his own heart he berated himself and said, how could I be so foolish? I mean, I, I want to trust God, but maybe there's some things that I can't trust God for that much. Maybe there's some things that I need to take care of myself. And we don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I can imagine those thoughts would have run through his mind because the fact of the matter is they run through our minds, don't they? When we make big decisions and we trust God and then it doesn't work out exactly the way we think, we sometimes ask those questions, don't we? I mean, we're, we're doing well in our career. And they come to us and they say, we want, to, we want to give you a promotion. We want to put you in charge. But you're going to have to do 80 hours a week. And we have a young family. And we think about it, we pray about it, and we want to stay involved with our family. We want to stay involved and serve at the church. And so, after praying about it, we turn the promotion down. And now, now it's a year or two later, and our career has stalled. And our coworker who took the promotion is now our boss, and what's more, their career is flourishing. And we look and we say, I wonder, I wonder, did I do the right thing to trust God in this? Or, or you're walking through life and you've been looking for that right person to get married to and suddenly they come into your life and they are just the right person and you're so excited and they are perfect. Except that they're not a Christian. And they're not even interested in knowing about Jesus. And because the Bible teaches that we should not get married to someone who isn't a believer because it caused chaos in their life and our life throughout our marriage. Because we're going in different directions. Because of that, you trust God and you break up with that person. And now it's some time later and, and there isn't anyone else that's come into your life. And what's more, another Christian that you know has gone and married a non-Christian person and you look at their life and it looks like their world is flourishing. And you wonder, say, God, did I make the right choice to trust you on this thing? And we don't know exactly what was going on in Abram's heart and mind. But it is interesting to know that whatever it was, it was significant enough that God determined that he needed to come and to talk with Abram again. And now God is going to come and speak to him. And the words that he speaks to Abraham are the words of him to us today too. If you're struggling with those kinds of questions, these are the words of God to you. This is what Abram says here in verses 14 to 16. Then the Lord came and said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. God comes to Abram and he says, Abram, Abram, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Look around you. Everything that you can possibly see with your eyes. All of that, I have given that to you. And you know this dust that's causing you so much grief? If you could count it, you wouldn't count enough of all the descendants that I am going to give to you. Now what's God doing here? Well, God is reminding Abram that he is in a covenant relationship with him. 
You see, Abram isn't just some random guy who's living in the land. Abram is a man who has a covenant relationship with none other than the God of heaven himself. And that God has made some very clear promises to Abram. One, that he will possess the land. And two, that his, well, that his people will possess that land. And God is not about to abandon Abram. God didn't allow him to make a huge mistake. God is still in control and therefore Abram can rest on the fact that he is in this relationship with God. In fact, this relationship, this covenant relationship between him and God is the foundation for the faith that Abram can have in God. You see, faith, faith, people sometimes think, is based on ignorance, on a lack of knowledge. But actually the exact opposite is the case. Faith is always based on knowledge. And when faith is, ba- is in a person, or in our case, in God, it is based on the knowledge of their character. So let me give you an example. Not long ago, my wife and I, I went to update our will. And uh, we went to see the lawyer. After we paid him, there wasn't much money to worry about anyway. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, we went to see him. But the most significant question that he asked us was this. If you should die, and your wife should die, before your children are of legal age, who would you like to care for them? Now, for my wife and I, it was a very easy decision. We gave him the name of the couple. We said, this is the couple. And and then the lawyer, uh, the lawyer uh, lawyer knows about all these things, right? That's why we go and see them. And and, uh, the lawyer said, well, okay, if they're going to care for your children, then maybe someone else should control the money. And so if they need money, they have to ask, you know, the, the, the... these other people. Now, the lawyers know, but, but for us, that wasn't necessary at all because we know these people so well and we have such faith in them that we have no worries about that. We trust them utterly with our own children, the most precious thing that we have. Why? Not because we don't know them, but because we know them so well. Because we know their character. We know that they would love our children like their own. And that if they needed money, that they would be so careful with it. And that if it came to it, they would even give up their own resources to care for our children. We have great faith in them. Now, does that mean we have a guarantee that they'll do that? No, of course not. If that happens, we'll be dead. There's nothing we can do about it. But our faith comes because of that relationship that we have in them. And therefore, we trust them. You see... It's what we know and believe about their character through the relationship that gives us faith in them. And the same is true when it comes to God. Our faith, what we believe about him and his character, comes from what we know about him. And that's why it's important that we keep studying his word. This is how he reveals who he is and what he's like and whether or not you can actually trust him with your life. This is where we learn. But not only here. You know what? You and I, just like Abram, we're on a journey of faith. And there are some points in our life where we simply have to pray and say, okay, God, now I trust you. And we step out. And then we learn that indeed he is faithful, that he does come through, that he is trustworthy. And just like Abram, we can have complete confidence because like him, we're also in a covenant relationship with him. Only our covenant relationship isn't because he came to us and spoke to us personally. Our covenant relationship is through the shed blood of his own son who hung on a cross and died so that we could be in a right relationship with him. So we could be in a covenant relationship with him. And in that covenant relationship, he's also made promises to us. Promises like this. I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. 
And promises like this, I promise that I will work all things out for good for you who are obedient to me and, and you trust me in your life. And promises like I'm going to form and shape you into the image of my son. You think that if you make a major decision and you trust God in it, that he's all of a sudden going to abandon you? You think that if you've trusted him and ended up in a land that wasn't exactly like you expected, that somehow he doesn't know and isn't aware and can't handle that? You think that, that he doesn't love you enough, even though he sent his own son to die for your sins? You think that he doesn't have more wisdom than you, that he can't see further down the road than you? Of course not. He will never abandon you. You can have complete confidence in him because, because you are in a covenant relationship with him. Because he sent his son to die for you. So this is what God comes to tell Abram. Abram, Abram, lift up your eyes. Don't you forget, you and me, Abram, we have a covenant relationship. And this is the first lesson that we learn from Abram's life. When you make a decision in your life and you're trusting God, remember God's covenant with you. This becomes the foundation of our faith. God comes first of all to remind Abram of his covenant. But then look at what he says next. In verse 17, he says to Abram, Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. He says, Abram, I want you to pack up your tent. I want you to start moving through the land. Now what's going on here? Well, in, in that day, if someone took possession of the land, they didn't, you know, they didn't go see the lawyers and, and sign a piece of paper. Instead, they would symbolically walk around the land and everyone would see it and know this land that I walked around, it's mine. It's very common in that day. So for instance, uh, when a pharaoh, when there'd be a new pharaoh in Egypt, the first thing he would do is go out in a large procession and he would march around the capital city of Egypt. And in so doing, he was saying to everyone, I own this. This belongs to me. The Hittite kings of Abram's day did the same. And in fact, even a little later in the Bible, you know when Joshua and the people of Israel crossed the Jordan and entered in the promised land? What's the first thing that God asked them to do? He asked them to march around the city of Jericho seven times. Now that isn't God saying, hey, I got this idea. Why don't you march around? No, no. The people of that day knew exactly what this was all about. It was a very clear statement that another king, Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, had come with his people into the land and they were symbolically letting everyone know, we're going to own this. That's why the people in Jericho were so terrified by it all. It was very clear to them. And that's now what God asked Abram to do. He asked him to get up and by faith to walk through the land. And in so doing, he is saying, this land, Canaan, the one that, that God has put me in, that God has given to me, I am going to take possession of it. I'm going to live right here in this land. You see, faith is not only about believing in God and what he says because we have a covenant relationship with him. Faith is also living in light of it. It's getting up and taking possession of the land in which God, by his grace and in his wisdom, has put you in. So, if you made a decision, and it's not opposed to what the scriptures teach, in fact, if you say, God, on this one, I'm trusting you. And after having made that decision, you find yourself in a land and a place that you didn't quite expect. Just trust God that he puts you there and get up and take possession of it. Live in it. So 
If you gave up the promotion so you could be home with your family, don't walk around with your head hung down saying, I can't, I, I wonder if that was the right thing. No, no. Live there. Embrace your family. Take what God has given you. If you said, I'm going to break up with him or her because they're not following Jesus, and you did that, good for you. Keep looking. God may have that right person out there for you. But don't you live always looking over there, wishing that you were over there. You live. You take possession of the land that God has put you in. Now, it might not be exactly what you were expecting. But you know that beautiful valley that Lot moved to? You know, in the end, it didn't work out so well for him there. If you trusted God, who is infinitely wiser than you are, then trust him. That he has brought you to this place for a reason at this time. And you live there. Your outline puts it this way. Embrace where God has put you. Live there. This is the second part of faith. And again, we see that Abram does this. He steps out in faith. And now look at the last verse of this chapter. Verse 18. So, Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Abram does what God asked him to. He picks up his tent, and if you look at a map, he, he, does, he does travel through the land. It's not particularly far by our standards, but in his day, it's a good trek. And he travels south. He actually travels, interestingly enough, right past the very place that would one day be the capital city, Jerusalem, of the nation that would come from him. And he travels further south until he comes to the city of Hebron. And there, under these beautiful oak trees, he sets up his tents. Now, the fact that he comes to Hebron isn't a random thing. He didn't just sort of bump into it. Hebron is very significant. It is the capital city of the Canaanite people. And by that day, again, it was a large, well-fortified city. And you remember from earlier in this passage, it said the Canaanites and the Perizzites were living in the land. And so he comes to this city that symbolizes the fact that this land that God has promised him is actually controlled by these people. And there, under this beautiful oak, he builds an altar. He didn't build a a temple or a monument, just a simple altar. And there, in the shadow of the fortress of those who are opposed to him, he worships God. And that is a profound act of faith. See, faith isn't just about believing what God says. It isn't just about getting up and doing what he calls us to do. But it is also, thirdly, about worshiping God, even when it doesn't look like it's working out the way we think it should. Even when it looks like, I don't think this is going to work the way I want it to. That's faith. And this is the third thing that we need to learn from Abram's life. When we trust God with the decisions in our life, that we should worship him in spite of what we see with our eyes. That's faith. That's trusting in him. So here's the question for you. Are you trusting God? You know you can. He is utterly faithful. Utterly trustworthy. And he loves you so much that he sent his own son to be in a covenant relationship with you. So trust him. And you might say, yeah, I know, I know. But it's not so easy. Like these are big things in my life. If you struggle with that, I hear you. Faith is not always easy, but faith is something that grows and develops over time. So there's no condemnation here. Don't feel any condemnation. Abram, the great man of faith, is going to struggle a lot more before he comes fully mature. 
But what we have here is a beautiful lesson about what faith looks like. Faith is based on the character of the one you put your trust in. So keep getting to know God. Keep falling in love with Jesus. Keep reading his word. Keep praying. Keep being in some kind of significant biblical relationship with a few others who will encourage and strengthen you. And faith comes when you take possession of wherever it is that God has put you. You know, Abram didn't travel far, but he didn't stay stuck in Bethel. He stepped out and he trusted God. And if that's you, take that step. You're only going to learn if you actually trust him and see that he is good. And then don't forget to keep worshiping him. Don't stop gathering with the people of God to lift up God's name and to hear his word. Don't stop calling out to God, even if it's in the shadow of the fortress of your enemy. And remember this. In one way, we have a huge advantage over Abram. And that's this, that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. God himself, who will give us the strength to trust him, to walk in him. So if you're struggling in your faith, if you're not sure, you just go back and say, God, help me. And he promises he'll help you to walk with him. And in so doing, he will guide your steps and he will receive all the glory. Amen. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Let's pray. God, we thank you for Abram. God, we thank you that he was a real person like us with struggles and questions. Father, he messed up and he recommitted to follow you. And God, it sounds like my life. It sounds like many of our lives. And Father, we want to be people who trust you, who follow you no matter what. And yet, Lord, you know that's hard for us often. God, please increase our faith. God, help us to be like Abram in this story, to know your character, to step out, to see that you will care for us, that you love us because of this covenant relationship. And Father, to worship you even when we don't. And so God, I just pray for each person here, and particularly for those who are struggling, who are questioning, who are facing big decisions or who have made big decisions. Father, may they rest in who you are. And may they know that you will care for them, that you will guide them as they continue to look to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good day.